So I grew up around the church. Uh, my grandparents on both sides were Pentecostal. They went to the same church, which is actually how my parents met. Uh, my parents were backsliders. Um, they have come back to the church uh, in recent years, um, but I did grow up in a backsliders home. I remember my mom would always tell me that this was the truth and that there was only one God. She told me that a lot. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, I did visit other churches with my friends, you know, but there was a definite difference there, I guess, because we go to a lively church and, and uh, their churches were always pretty boring. <laughs> and so um, I was always drawn to the church I would go to Sunday school when I got to stay with my grandparents, and, and I would always be so excited when we got to stay for Sunday night service. I always remembered Sunday night service. It was always very special. The choir would sing, and the Holy Ghost would just fall, and he would move. The whole church, I remember, just would be moving in the spirit, and I would feel drawn to go to the front and pray, and so I would lift my hands, and I would pray, and I would worship God, and all the ladies would come around me, and they would pray with me, and they would say, yes, that's it, that's it, and they would always tell me that I spoke in tongues, but I, I, never, I never really thought that I did at that time, but I do remember when I did get the Holy Ghost. I was 17, um, and... I was actually on the verge of backsliding at this time, and uh, I was in the back of the church, and I was sitting there, and I had already had backsliding contemplating in my mind. And um, the Lord just kind of came over me, and he moved over me, and he moved over my heart, and I was resisting at first, um, but one of the ladies must have seen what was going on, and she came over to pray with me, and I yielded. And I remember how broken my heart was because I was contemplating uh, backsliding, and uh, I was praying, and so I, I stood up. And I lifted my hands up, and literally, it was like a wind came, and it hit me in my chest, and it knocked me back. And as soon as I, my back hit the pew, it knocked the breath out of me, and I started speaking in tongues in the Holy Ghost. And I knew I had the Holy Ghost at that time. But sadly, I didn't stay. <clears throat> All throughout my young life, I always felt drawn to God and the church. But I never developed that foundation. There's a foundation that you've got to have whenever you're going to church. And I, I, I realize that now. And so it's prayer, you know, and, and fasting and being in your word. But because I grew up in a backslider's home, my parents were never really taught me all of those things. And so uh, as I would be drawn to the church, you know, and I would be in it for a season and I would be loving God and, and serving God. And then those pants in the bottom of my closet would start drawing at me and, and I would be tempted and and I would uh, start thinking how awkward and odd I felt at school because I was the only one wearing dresses and didn't cut my hair. And so eventually I would give in and I would put the pants on and I would stop going to church. My senior year of high school, my life took a drastic change. And this is where it all started. I was in debate class and there was a freshman girl that sat next to me. I was always the quiet one. Can you imagine that? <laughs> and so one of our classmates, he came over and he brought a court case regarding homosexuality being illegal. And he said that the court case was about me and the girl next to me. And he said, y'all are girlfriends, and I'm going to represent you in this court case. Boy, the devil will really set you up, won't he? 
And so we played along, and it was kind of a game at first. You know, we would yell, I love you, across the hallway, and we would hold hands, and, and we played along for a little while until eventually it stopped being a game, and it started getting in my heart. You know, the Bible, it calls the word of God a seed. In Luke 8 and 11, the parable of the sower. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Well, the devil, he plants seeds too. And I didn't realize it at that time, but that's exactly what happened. The seed of homosexuality was planted by my classmate in my heart, and I went along with it. And I watered the seed until it brought forth fruit. This is the seed that ultimately led to me quitting church for the last time my senior year of high school. I was actually the vice president of our Youth for Christ group at my school at that time. I organized and led the Meet Me at the Pole prayer. But once homosexual got a hold, homosexuality got a hold of my heart, I dropped out of everything church and everything God. And I even turned away from my best friend, and I'm sure she was very hurt. But my heart became filled with lust, and I remembered it burned like a fire. After I graduated high school, I ran away from home. My parents were very strict, and even after I graduated, they still would not let me uh, have the freedom to go and hang out with my friends. And so I got angry, and I decided I didn't want to be there anymore. So I took off out the back door. I decided I didn't want to be controlled anymore. Living in a sheltered world really did not prepare me for living in the world I stepped into. My parents tried so hard to protect me from everything I ran first head, head first into. Needless to say, I was rebellious and didn't care to listen to what anyone had to say. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and so I did. Proverbs 13 and 1 says, A wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Let's just say that I was not a wise son. After running away from home, I ended up uh, at a friend's house, and this friend of mine could see that I was in distress, and she thought she had the perfect way to cheer me up. She introduced me to ecstasy and cocaine. And thus began my journey into the world of drugs. The next several months and years even rather flew by, party after pot, party, experimenting with whatever drug was available. I thought I was living the best life. Nothing really mattered until sobriety would come. And my present circumstances would collapse in on me, and I would look at the world around me, and I would think to myself, what am I doing? What have I done with my life? During this time, I was relatively homeless. I spent nights in my truck parked in the woods or at a park being awoken by cops knocking on my window, telling me I had to leave. I would spend nights at one friend's house or another, still one party to another, one drug to another, and in the midst of all that, I had a child. My parents did let me move home while I was pregnant, and that was a relief. I was able to get clean, and I was sober. I was even, even able to obtain a Pell Grant, which covered the entire cost of college courses and books. But sadly, shortly after I had my son, I returned to the partying, the drugs, and the promiscuity. I dropped out of college, and due to my lack of ever being home and not really caring for my, or being there for my son, my mother persuaded me to sign over custody of my son to her which honestly is probably the best thing that I could have done for him. And yes, of course, I've had regrets over the years and a longing, but he didn't have to go through or endure some of the terrible situations that I was in. 
I never really could seem to be able to get it all together. I wrote a poem one time about occasionally coming to my senses and looking around at my life, seeing the mess that I had made of it, and having that revelation moment and thinking, I've got to get it together. And I would set out to get my life right until two weeks later, I'm coming to my senses, looking back at the mess I've made of my life, kind of like the prodigal son waking up in the pig pen and realizing that he was in the pig pen. But I wasn't running back to the father's house. I was just thinking that I could fix it on my own, but I never could. Months would go by, and then I would have another come-to moment, but nothing ever got better. I was stuck in a cycle of destruction, drinking, and drugs. I moved to Austin chasing a relationship, a very destructive relationship. While in Austin, I graduated from recreational drug use to full-on addiction. Crack cocaine was the first. Standing at your front door, peeking out the, the peephole, thinking the cops are on the other side and they're going to bust in any moment. I was addicted to Vicodin for two years before I was able to find a clinic to help me get off of them. I remember the withdrawals were so bad. You just want to crawl out of your skin. It's all night long. You're, you're hot and you're cold, and so you're pulling the covers off and putting the covers on. There's no rest. But the drug that really got a hold of me was meth. No other drug really mattered anymore once I got on meth. Meth took me places I never thought I would go, morally speaking. And meth, it brought me right out of my mind. I would get high on meth and I would browse the internet all night looking at other religions and I would think, uh, and I, honestly I think that's what put me on the quest to find God in the first place. Um, I would look into Hindu and all of the other many gods, Wicca, Chakra, Tarot cards, and I would say, wow, this is the complete opposite of everything that I learned that God was. And of course we know it was the opposite. The devil tries to copy or mimic, but he can't ever come close to be being who God is because God is light. And the devil tries to present himself as an angel of light, but his light is full of darkness. One of the most terrifying events that I ever experienced happened in a hotel room. I was staying there with one of my girlfriends, and she had a friend that, there that used heroin. And so that friend brought over his brother-in-law, and they both went into the other room, and they closed the door. After a few minutes, I hear the, the man, and he's calling on his brother-in-law's name, and, and you can hear a commotion. And so we walked into the room, and there lay the brother-in-law. He's passed out on the bed. His face was white as a sheet, and his, his lips were blue. He had had a heroin overdose. And so everyone's in a panic, and so the guy, he's trying to pick him up and bring him out the door. And all I can think is, we've got to get an ambulance over here. But ironically, there wasn't a phone in the hotel room. We had just moved hotels, and so I went back to the other room, and luckily I was able to still get in, and I called the ambulance to come. And by the time I got back over to the hotel room, everyone was gone. They had left the man in the middle of the doorway, and they had taken off. And whenever the cops got there, I guess I realized why everyone had left. But because I was there, I was able to tell the ambulance that this man had OD'd on heroin, and so they were able to revive the man. And the cops told me that if the guy would have died, I would have been charged. Talk about a wake-up call. It's also one of those moments where you realize that those people that are out there, they're not really your friends. They're only there for themselves. And in the heat of the moment, they're not going to be there for you. 
The scariest thing about all of that is later that night, the guy came back to the hotel room with his brother-in-law. They went back into the same room, and they did the same thing that they had done before without an overdose this time, but still. It's, it's the life, the life of the drugs. It gets a hold of you. I had some very dark days because of meth. You see, I was an intravenous meth user. I started using meth full-time at 25, and by 28, I had already admitted myself into the state hospital twice. They diagnosed me with drug-induced psychosis because I was hearing things and seeing things that weren't there. At one point, I felt like I had lost total control of my mind, and a blasphemous spirit stepped in. Not just any blasphemous spirit, but the blasphemy in my mind was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Being raised in the church, I knew that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was unforgivable. And so when that stepped in, I flipped out. I would try to control it, and I never could. And so my mind would start to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And I would start to think that I was damned and that there was no hope for me. So I would have a bit of a flip-out session. One such flip-out session happened in a hotel I was staying at, and I'm sitting in the corner crying my eyes out thinking that I'm lost forever when this song comes on the radio. It says, there's a girl in the corner with tear stains in her eyes from the places she's wandered and there's that shame she can't hide. She says, how did I get here? I'm not who I once was. And I'm crippled by the fear that I've fallen too far to love. But don't you know who you are? What has been done for you? Don't you know who you are? You are more than the choices that you've made. You are more than the sum of your past mistakes. You are more than the problems you create. You've been remade. God couldn't have been more clear, and he spoke to me in that hour. He did show me in the word of God that in order to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you've got to speak it. <clears throat> and all of my searching from God always came back to Jesus. <laughs> An associate of mine gave me a Bible one day, and I hadn't much touched a Bible in seven or eight years, but I was curious, and so I would get high, and I would sit for hours, and I would read the Bible. (laughs) But then God really started to deal with me. I... uh, I would start reading the prophets, the, bo- the books of the prophets. And so here's, here's one example, Jeremiah 3, 6 um, through 15. The Lord said uh, also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said, After she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it, and I saw 
when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bureau of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And so I'm reading these things and I'm like, wow, God is talking right to me as I'm reading these. And then one day I came around upon Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 talks about the blessing and the cursing of the Lord, the blessing that will be upon you if you will serve the Lord, and the cursing that will be upon you that if you do not. Deuteronomy 28 and 15, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to kind of skim through. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the in- increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon you thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do, until thou be destroyed. And until thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doing, thereby, thereby thou hast forsaken me. And the Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee, until the, he has consumed thee from off the land, whither thou goest to possess it. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption, and with a fever, and with inflammation, and an extreme burning, and with a sword, and with blasting, with mildew. And they shall pursue thee, until thou perish. Suddenly it made sense. I was cursed. I had a revelation, and in that, that one moment, I was cursed. And so I sprawled myself on the back patio on the concrete ground, and I began to wail and cry. And so my girlfriend comes up to me, and she says, what's wrong with you? And so I have this journal from the end of 2010 until the beginning of 2011, and I started writing letters to Jesus. And it was, um, it was like the more I would read the word and write prayers to Jesus, the more he began to manifest in my life, and I began to talk about him. So I would talk about him to my girlfriend, and I would tell her that there is power in the name of Jesus. If something bad happens, all you have to do is call on that name, and he will help you. And she believed me. One day we were at our drug dealer's hotel room and this guy comes in. He gets in a tiff with my girlfriend and he pulls out a knife and he puts it to her throat and he says, why don't I just cut your throat? And she says, no, you won't in the name of Jesus. And the guy put the knife back in his pocket and he said, you know what? No, I won't. Everybody in that hotel room, their jaw dropped. Mine did too. And my drug dealer said, I never thought that that would work. Another miracle happened when me and my girlfriend were leaving a nature reserve off of 360. We had just had a brake job done, and so we're headed down the hill. The light turns red, and there's a car parked there. There's a car already stopped there. And so my girlfriend's pressing on the brakes, and she says, Dara, there's no brakes. And so you know what? In that moment, time really does, it slows down. I had all the time in the world to start thinking about, and you know what I thought about? I thought about God. I, and, and so I put my hands forth in the, in the front of the car, and I said, in the name of the Lord, but nothing happened. And then I really had a second to look, think about it, and I looked up to heaven, 
And I thought about Moses and how God parted the waters of the Red Sea. And I thought about that God. And then I put my hands out again and I said, in the name of the Lord. And I said it with faith. And let me tell you, that truck pulled over to the side of the road and it stopped. The Lord really began to deal with me. And I remember being in a hotel one night. My girlfriend was in the shower. And literally, it was like God stepped into my hotel room. And conviction came over me. And I ended up face down on the floor, repenting and crying and weeping. And again, here comes my girlfriend. What's wrong with you? Ultimately, at that time, the repentance didn't stick. I continued on in on my, on my addiction until I got to the place of enough is enough is enough is enough. By this time, I had very little control over the thoughts in my mind. And I felt like I just couldn't take it anymore. So I started searching UPC churches online. And I told my girlfriend, I said, I'm done with this life. I'm going back to church. My internet search led me to Austin First Church. I was curious why the church address was a P.O. box. And so I called the number and I was told where to go. It was uh, over off of Onion Creek Baptist Church. And so on a Thursday night, March 24th, 2011, I came to Austin First Church. I remembered when I walked in the door, it felt like home. I don't really remember much, much about the message, but I remember Brother Stevens talking about how he used to be a drug addict and that when God filled him with the Holy Ghost, the drugs went in the toilet and the booze in the trash. When the altar call came, I went down to the front and I raised my hands and I asked God if I could come home. Brother Delano came and he prayed for me. He told me some things I was going through and he said, you're, you're, having a, you're tormented in your mind, aren't you? And I said, yes. And he anointed me with oil and he said, as soon, I'm going to pray for you. And as soon as I say, in the name of Jesus, you're going to be delivered of all of this. And so he prayed. And as soon as he said, the name of Jesus, I dropped to the floor. And for a whole minute, I didn't have any strength in my body to get up again. But when I did, I felt liberty and I felt freedom like I've never felt before. Sister Stevens was there and she said, it's all right, go ahead. And so I started dancing and shouting right there in the, in the service. And after that was done, Elder Sister Hutspeth was there, and she came up to me, and she said, I heard you pray to God and ask if you could come home. And the Lord told me to tell you, welcome home. And right now, you know what? I'm happy to say that it's been 11 years that I've been drug-free. I've not had a desire to go back to drugs. I have been completely clean. God took homosexuality out of my heart. And I can tell you today that there is power in the name of Jesus. And I know that there's power in the name of Jesus. God has made himself manifest for me so many times in my life. It's unreal. And, and it really, it hasn't been all easy since I've come into the church. But there, it's been the greatest that it's ever been. So some of the most wonderful things that have ever happened to me have happened while I was in the church. I was very privileged to, um, to be under Elder Sister Hutspeth. And she gave me a Bible study for a whole year. And, and so she would give me all these scriptures over repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And I feel like that's my roots. You know, I have roots that go deep because an elder took me under her wing for a whole year and gave me Bible studies, and I'm grateful for that. Another elder took me under her wings, and she taught me how to pray. And so I developed this foundation in God. 
And so over the years, it's been ups and it's been downs. And I was kind of debating if I wanted to tell this part of it or not. But last year, I struggled and I fell. And I'm very grateful for my church. And there's a reason that I want to talk about this part because I fell. And it's because I had church people that were there for me and that prayed for me and that lifted me up and would not stop text messaging me and reaching out to me. And I'm grateful for that. And one of the most significant things that happened after I fell, I made my confession to pastor. Because he talks about that, the secret sin that you've got in your life, if you'll just go to pastor and if you'll make your confession to him, your life will change. And mine did. I went to pastor and I made my confession and he told me, he said, you know what? Me and my wife are going to pray for you and you're going to make it. And every day almost, Sister Lori would send me a text message and she would say, I'm praying for you. And as, as that did, after I made my confession, it's like everything fell into place for me to come out of my sin. And some of the greatest things have been happening to me since I came out of my sin even. Uh, so I went, to, um, I went to a prayer conference, International Prayer Summons in St. Louis, Missouri. And when I was there, I was in the front and I was praying. And, and, and I was really worshiping in, in, in God. And God spoke to me and he said, you're never going to be the same. And I haven't. I haven't been the same. And I've, there's two more prayer conferences coming up. And I very much encourage everybody to go if you can. Ask your pastor, of course, if you can go. Um, I did. It, but so it, it, these things are very powerful. And I'm just, I'm very excited for what God is doing in my life. And, and, and I hope that I've, I've said something that's encouraging. You know, and, and I, I do thank you all very much for, for hearing my testimony. I guess it's not as long as I thought it was going to be, you know. Um, but just... Thank you. Thank you for, for hearing, and, and, and thank you all for the, the love that you've shown me while I'm here. I'm, I'm very, very grateful for, for my family at Austin First Church. Thank you.